it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Exciting Wednesday. We have Congressman Mike Johnson in 10 minutes. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. Mike Johnson, of course, Vice Chair of the House Republican Conference, member of the Judiciary and Armed Services Committee uh, out of Louisiana. So it'll be great to talk to him. Uh, we have a lot going on today. I saw the Republicans or the Freedom Caucuses decide not to vote on something they obviously support, and that is the the uh, the preserving of gas ovens. But they didn't vote on this today to let Kevin McCarthy know they're not happy with the debt ceiling. So we'll talk about that. Is there a fracture in the Republican Party that's not being attended to? So, so much to – I could have had the Big Ten today and said we got the Big Three. Let's listen. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am so sick of this PGA commissioner talking about 9-11. And it's like, buddy, it's about the money. It's only about the money. You know it's only about the money. Stop saying all this other stuff. That uh, then put there was one. Two rival golf leagues emerged. Saudi backed Live and the American-based PGA. The reactions are global. Uh, the reactions are global, emotional, and stunning. Why I don't believe there is anything immoral about Live or the merger. Number two. It took them a long time to admit they had the document when he finally figured out that Senator Grassley and I both knew without a shadow of a doubt hmm. that the document existed. Then they finally admitted to having the document. James Comer standing up to Ray. Contempt charges are about to be filed against the FBI director as they protect the Biden mob scene. It seems to it seems to be as they protect Biden, uh, the whole mob seems to be around him, regathering again like they did with Russian collusion and everything else in an attempt to make sure we don't know how Joe and his family made millions. Number one. And that's why I came back to New Hampshire to tell all of you that I intend to seek the Republican nomination for president of the United States in 2024, and I want your support. So today's a big day. Uh, Chris Christie's in, reaching capacity with Pence Christie and Governor Bergram, officially in the GOP. I think the real cap's off now, uh, the whole league. One universal fact, Trump is leading big. Does one, does anyone in the field have a plan to close this gap? Are you still open to a new candidate? We'll examine the messages. Because on the, on the left, we saw RFK Jr. working hard, getting about 20%. You know where RFK was yesterday? He was in two in the morning doing videos at the wall at our southern border and astounded about what he's seeing and talking about how dangerous this is. And it's Joe Biden's fault. Not that there's a problem at the border, but he made it worse in history at a time in which we can least afford it. Destroying all these cities in the process, including the one I'm in right now. So Doug Bergram will go in officially 1130 today. He actually put it out on social media. Mike Pence uh, released a video, filed the paperwork. He'll do that at one o'clock today, Eastern time. Uh, He'll do it in Iowa. Uh, The North Dakota governor is in Fargo. And then Ron DeSantis will do a roundtable with border sheriffs. That really rounds out some of the action today taking place in Iowa, New Hampshire. But Chris Christie looks like he's giving up on Iowa. Okay. He came in sixth place in New Hampshire. And even though he was the hottest candidate on the right 
in 2012. Mitt Romney, uh, he did not run against Mitt Romney. He wasn't picked as Mitt Romney's running, Mitt Romney's running mate. Paul Ryan was. In 2016, he ran. He was out by New Hampshire. He says this time he thinks will be different. He also talked for two hours, talking about history, what his approach would be this time. And it's to take aim at Donald Trump. Here's the mistake he said he made in 2016. It was a mistake in 2016 not to confront Donald Trump early. Because I knew that so much of what he said was complete baloney. Like, I knew it. I'm going to build the greatest, most wonderful wall across the entire Mexico border, and Mexico is going to pay for it. Well, like, I knew, as someone who had governed, that that was complete bull. Well, in terms of the wall, uh, I, I said this to Governor Sununu, too. It's a non-starter. Uh, the president built 450 miles of wall. The stuff that they say was replaced with split rail fence. Uh, this was legitimate. And he built more, and it was all set to go up, and we know Joe Biden stopped it. That's a Democratic argument if you want to have it. But I don't think he's vulnerable on the wall. I don't think he's vulnerable uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to world affairs. I think his foreign policy was strong. I don't agree with President Trump on his stance with the Ukraine war. But I think Republican, most Republicans disagree with me. So Governor Christie thinks it's necessary. So I think that's a legitimate policy. But the fact that he didn't drain the swamp, really, he started to. He identified it and was in quest to do it. He was... Uh, that is not something that's done in even eight years. That's got to be a, a flat-out mission by more than just one man. So Chris Christie was out there. He's very good on his feet. I think he's charismatic. People were going getting after me saying he's not charismatic. No, he's extremely, he's extremely sure of himself, comfortable in his own skin. Now, kind of interesting to see uh, Donald Trump taking shots at him through uh, Truth Social. He knows he's ranked low at the polls, and for the most part, Trump does not go after people who are low in the polls. So he did this. How many times did Chris Christie use the word small? Does he have a psychological problem with size? Actually, his speech was small and not very good. He rambled all over the place, and nobody had a clue to what he was talking about. Hard to watch, boring. And that's what you get from a failed governor who left office with a 7% approval rating. Utterly embarrassing, uh, he went on. Uh, so there's another one was kind of good. He thinks this. I think he did a lot of uh, uh, references on Truth Social to eating, uh, kind of indicating uh, the weight was an issue. One guy that's firmly in support is Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith knows that Governor Christie goes to all major sporting events, got a chance to know him. Stephen A. Smith weighed in. You know the ESPN guy? Cut 10. I know it's a very long shot, but I tell you this much, I'd vote for him before I'd vote for any of the Democratic candidates that I've seen. But that's not the same when it comes to DeSantis or Trump. But when it comes to him, I know that's what position I take. I'm a registered independent. Do you think he's a cognitive mess? I'm not going to say he's a cognitive. I'm not going there. What I can say to you is that I think there's an abundance of people who could do better. Right. He goes on cut 11. I'm looking at him and... I don't like what I see. I'm not impressed with what I've seen. I've been very concerned with what I've seen. And the fact that he's going to be 82 years of age right. at election time, if he were to win an election and he'd be in the White House until he's 86 years old, I think in the year 2023, it is utterly embarrassing that the liberal side has him as their best 
candidate. What does it say about you when that is the best candidate that you can give the left? That is ridiculous. That's not a knock against That's, Joe Biden. It more so than it's an indictment against the Democratic Party. This guy grew up in Hollis, Queens, probably mostly a Democratic area and is open to voting whoever he wants to vote for. He's not going to be told because he's black or white or Asian, this is what you vote for, this is what our people do. And he obviously has opinion, we all see. Whatever you think of Joe Biden, you can think he's the nicest guy in the world. But there's no way he should still be president. He's not even campaigning. Do you know what he's doing today? He's got one event at 10 o'clock. He's not doing interviews. He doesn't do press conferences. He's not setting up an agenda. They said there's going to be a pre- – they say he's going to do some fundraiser behind closed doors with Governor Pritzker. All right, good luck. How does that help the American public? Chris Sununu weighed in on Chris Christie. Cut eight. Chris is a great friend. I think he's going to be a great candidate. I, they're all friends. I mean, all the candidates is about a dozen folks on stage at this point, getting a little crowded. But they're all friends, and, and I've, I've talked to them all over the past 24 hours. And, again, we're just getting underway. So everyone has a shot, whether it's in New Hampshire, in Iowa, to prove their case, retail politics, connect with voters on a very personal level, um, and ultimately show what they got. Can they give a punch and take a punch on the stage? Yeah, we'll see. Um, we know they can do both. Let's see if he gets there. Chris Christie needs 40,000 uh, 40, donations, could be a dollar, and he needs 1% of the vote. So let's see how it goes. A lot of people have those uh, small percentages. Donald Trump is doing well. He's campaigning well. But Donald Trump's looking at maybe two indictments in the next couple of weeks, and then there'll be a trial looming. There's one already looming in, I believe, February. That's New York, which is a joke. And then there's going to be another problem with Mar-a-Lago. Does anyone think he's not going to get indicted in Georgia? Mark Meadows has disappeared. He knows everything, good or bad. He could exonerate Trump. If Trump did things wrong, he could actually get him in a lot of trouble. Did he do a deal? Evidently, he's not talking to anyone. He's ghosting everyone. And Mark Meadows could really sink him. Now, Mike Pence is somebody else. Now, finally, in the race, he says he's going to be an establishment Republican. I think that's a terrible word to use with Republicans. Nobody wants an establishment Republican. They like the MAGA agenda, which he could sign up for. But they don't. Many people say, I'm not going to go for Trump after January 6th. I'm going to go to Trump after some juvenile actions. And one thing that Trump put out on Truth Social, which I don't know who recommended he do this, but they put Governor Christie out there with people in the background, and it looks like he's at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Don't make fun of people's weight. Don't make fun of people's height. Don't make fun of people. Uh, I just think you just go after the person. I don't think that the story of Joe Biden being 80 is a story. It's the way he is acting, what he's capable of. And I brought this up. Grassley, Trump, Bernie Sanders, all around the same age. It's not a problem. It's a problem with Joe. Because we're seeing this. It's a taxing job. Uh, Trump actually looks younger than he did when he got the job. So when we come back, I'm joined by Congressman Mike Johnson. We'll talk about where we stand uh, with this legislation. As I mentioned today, a bit of a grandstand where Ken McCarthy stands. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do about what's happening in Ukraine as well as what's happening with China? You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
What Speaker McCarthy is really focused on here, Dana, uh, I think in backing Jamie Comer in this contempt proceeding, is he wants to send a message, a couple of them. He wants to send a message to the FBI that, look, for the next two years, we're not going to let you get away with what, perce what is perceived to be you know, a two-party system or approach to these investigations where the FBI is being political. And I think he's also sending a message to his both Republican base and the American public uh, writ large that, look, we want an FBI that is apolitical that is not acting and putting its finger on a political scale, as has clearly been documented on a number of instances. John Radcliffe used to run the, uh, the, the, used to run the Department of uh, the, the DNI, and he is just flabbergasted about how Christopher Wray is putting up roadblocks to getting to the bottom of multiple investigations so they're filing contempt charges. Congressman Mike Johnson, Louisiana, Vice Chair of the House Republican Conference, joins us now. Congressman, are you signing on to what James Comer's doing? Yeah, absolutely. We have to, Brian. And John Ratcliffe is exactly right. The FBI is showing us by their actions, by the documents we're uncovering in our weaponization committee and oversight committee and House Judiciary, that they're doing everything in their power to protect the president, to play on one side of the political spectrum. It's just clear that it can't even be refuted. These documents don't lie. Bank records don't lie. And this latest turn was, I think, the straw that breaks the camel's back, Brian, because, look, we have an, an unclassified document that describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then-President Biden and a foreign national. I mean, it was an exchange of money for policy decisions. Now, that should concern every single American. It doesn't matter what party you're in. You, you deserve to know whether the president of the United States is compromised, and Christopher Wray is covering for his agency, and we cannot stand for it. So they put out a story in the Washington Post that William Barr looked at this 1023 form, where this guy came forward and said, uh, "We have a rep this is his report that said that the Bidens were bribed. They took bribe money for in exchange for uh, some type of government action. And they say, well, William Barr looked at it. There was nothing there. Jamie writes, that's a flat-out lie. I went to somebody close to William Barr, and he said, wait a second, no, I recommend it refer this to Delaware for an investigation. I never dismiss this. But again, the Washington Post running with a story that's just not true to stop an investigation on guess who? Joe Biden. They're doing it again. Yeah, they are. You're exactly right. I just talked to Jamie Comer in the, in the gym uh, about an hour ago, and he is livid this morning because Jamie Raskin and the Democrats are out they said that lie. Jamie went out after they were in the, the skiff, uh, you know, 24 hours ago, whenever that was, and told the media that Bill Barr looked at this and passed on it, that he closed Not the true. file. That, they made it up. They made it up, Brian. So Jamie now has the goods on that, and there is there will be some reporting that comes out this morning where Bill Barr himself is now refuted. He's come out publicly and said, no, Jamie Raskin is lying to you. I did not do that. So, so is, you know, the, the next chapter is going to be written here soon. Uh, absolutely. You need to find out. Um, and I'm not sure the protection racket never stops. Just because Twitter went to the different guy doesn't mean they're not still moving uh, for to protect the Bidens. Story today that the Biden administration wants the Pentagon to select only the greenest contractors for multimillion dollar weapons deals from here on in. Everyone's got to push in their carbon footprint at a time in which we can't get enough weapons to give to Ukraine or fulfill orders from Taiwan. Now we're going green on weapon systems. That's oh, that's anti-American. It's anti-American, and it's incredibly dangerous right now. I mean, we, we, we're at DEFCON 1. I mean, you know, in political terms, that's what we say. We've got all of the 
adversaries of, of America now empowered and acting more aggressively than they have in my lifetime uh, because they see weakness in the White House. And now he wants to push a green agenda in the Department of Defense? What in the world? They, they were already pushing these woke policies, you know, funding drag queen shows on a military bases, you know, indoctrinating our young troops into all this nonsense of CRT and the rest of it. And, and now they want to they want to impose this mandate. It's unbelievable. It looks like they are intentionally trying to weaken our country. I don't. That's how my constituents see it, Brian. They, they, they don't they can't make sense of this. It's madness. I mean, if you're president of the United States, why would one of your lever points? I want less money for defense. I'll make Republicans suck it up on that. Does he understand it's bad for our country? Congressman Mike Johnson, my guest. Congressman. Uh, I want to bring you to something else. Today or yesterday, there's a vote to prevent the elimination of gas stoves. And the conservative, the Freedom Caucus, is not voting on it uh, because they want to uh, they want to show Kevin McCarthy how unhappy they are with the debt deal. How fractured are you guys? Well, look, I'm vice chairman of the House Republicans. I spend a lot of my time every day trying to keep our, our family together. I'm, I'm also one of the hardline conservatives here, but we, we have to govern. And uh, we've got a, a you know a handful of of our friends who are really trying to reassert uh, you know a, a kind of a member led conference, and that's good. That that's what we should do. Uh, but but we've also got to move our agenda. So look, there, there's a lot of palace intrigue going on, but really it's an intra-family discussion. I, I wish we wouldn't play it out into the public like this. I wish we would do it behind closed doors. But we're working on it today. I think we'll get everybody together. They, they look, the House Republicans know we have the slimmest majority, one of the smallest majorities in the history of the Congress. But we also know we're in unprecedented times for our country, and we have to move our agenda. I'm confident we will. I think we'll get everybody back together. We'll have to see. So when it comes to uh, China and mounting an attack on China before they had mounted on us from the destroyer to the fighter jets to with the storming of our base, uh, now we understand we see all these powerful CEOs going over to China. Isn't it time for the administration to get on the same page with business and with Congress? Too much is at stake. My gosh. I mean, China is is playing a 100-year strategy to dominate uh, not only their region of the world, but to, to replace us as the world's global leader, the superpower, right? And and they're making great strides in that right now because, you know, weakness invites aggression and, and we maintain peace through strength, as Reagan always reminded us. We're not doing that right now. We'd better. I mean, when you talk to, I'm on House Armed Services Committee as, as well as Judiciary. When we bring Pentagon leaders in and we ask them about the top threats and what's their greatest concern, they, they, they talk about China as almost a peer-to-peer adversary to us. We haven't had a peer-to-peer adversary since, you know, before World War II. This is serious business, and right. they're, they're, they're making us look bad on the world stage. Congressman, you got to keep fighting. Uh, Congressman Mike Johnson, hopefully I'll win over some Democrats, too. Appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. You got it. Rich Lowry coming up next. We break down the new entries into 2024. Can anyone touch Trump? Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There is no such thing as Trump voters. He doesn't own them. He didn't take title to them. They're not one of his buildings. They're not one of his failed casinos in New Jersey. Okay? I voted for him twice. Okay? Am I a Trump voter then? 
Hell no, man. In America, we don't get to vote for who we want to vote for. We get to vote for who's left. We get to vote for who's left. Okay, so Trump voters are Trump voters in 2016 when their choice was among 17 of us and then when it was Trump or Hillary Clinton. A Trump voter in 2020 in the Republican Party, he had no competition. So that's a little of Governor Christie's two-hour address uh, at which at which time I'm just going to uh, negotiate my televisions here because it was, we just got this news that CNN has just gotten rid of uh, has just gotten rid of Chris Licht as their their man in charge. So I don't know what they're going to do. They're running out of people uh, to actually run that uh, to to run that company. But that was uh, Chris Christie yesterday for two hours in a town hall, all ad libbed. Uh, he pretty much had a way in which he was going to do it, talked about what the country needs, how bad Trump was, how mistakes he's made in the past, and what he'll do. Mike Pence is going to be in it today, the governor of North Dakota, too. And that should do it for the field. Perfect time to bring in Rich Lowry, editor of the National Review. Rich, welcome. Your thoughts about Chris Christie's launch yesterday? Well, you know, it, it's uh, a sign that you know, he has a, a town hall with, what, I don't know, 20 people, maybe? Uh, but it gets a lot of press coverage, and I think that's how the campaign will will go. It's going to be hard for him, I think, to generate interest from the average voter, but there'll be a lot of media interest in it because, look, at that clip, you know, that's that's pungent way of, of, of speaking. He's a charismatic guy who's smart and has something to say that's, that's going to be appealing to a lot of journalists because he's going to be hitting Trump hard, also going to be hitting DeSantis hard. He's going to be hitting everyone hard, but it's hard to see. You know, he, he was nowhere in Iowa when, you know, for uh, four uh, in 2016, when he was, you know, a much more viable political proposition, and basically had to live in New Hampshire, and it didn't happen for him there. And it's hard to see how this would be any different. Well, um, we have a few people. The big problem is is Trump is doing so much better than everyone thought, and not many people thought too. After the midterm elections, which many of his candidates failed miserably, just underperformed. Look what happened in Arizona. Look what happened in Pennsylvania. Look what happened to Herschel Walker in Georgia. These were handpicked by Trump. They said, well, he's so vulnerable. But despite the fact that he's leading by such a substantial amount, I think seven or eight people have gotten in since he's dominated in the polls. What do they see and what are they hoping for? Well, I think that always the, the calculation of these folks, one, is something they've wanted to do their entire adult lives in most cases. And maybe they have a 0.1% chance of becoming president, but that, that's a lot more than you, you and I have and everyone else in the country has. So why not? Uh, you know, Maybe lightning will, will strike. And the, the thing is that this field is currently configured. There was a poll a week and a half ago, some media outlet uh, had the typical finding, you know, Trump 50, DeSantis 25 or whatever, everyone else single digits, but it also asked second choices. So if you combine the first and second choices, both Trump and DeSantis were at 80. That's a pretty good place for, you know, a challenger to be, just have people open to, to him or her, but no, no one else is anywhere close to that. So in the current configuration, it, it looks like a two-man race with, with one man running away from run, running away with it, at least nationally. So if you're Trump, do you debate? 
No, I, I think he has to, you know, go to the the last debate in Iowa, whatever that's going to be, the last debate in New Hampshire. It would seem kind of arrogant and entitled not to show up whatsoever. But why show up in August? You know, you have this enormous lead. Uh, let everyone eat DeSantis alive. Let everyone be diminished. And make it sort of look at the ki- like the kids' table because the big dog's not there. And you know, you can counter programming and, and still got a lot, a lot of attention. So uh, I think I think it'll be. One of these classic Trump things where we just don't know until we, we see whether he walks through the door or not. But I kind of think he it, the answer will be not that he won't. Uh, they, yeah, I, I pretty much have a, a great source that says no in August. Mm-hmm. Question is, if DeSantis a couple of weeks in continues to do pretty well uh, with people, he doesn't have to be nice to everybody. If someone has something rude, we're used to getting directness back. It keeps the press on their uh, on their toes. Uh, and he's going to continue to move forward with confidence, does he close the gap? And if he closes the gap, does that force Trump to attack more? And is he, Trump, suddenly getting attacked by seven or eight other people? I personally think they're waiting on the court cases. What about you? Um, so, yeah, if DeSantis gets obvious traction, it it will create a, a new dynamic there. You know, he may be getting traction in Iowa. It's, it's, I, uh, Trump has always looked soft in Iowa. Now you never know what to make of internal polls, but the, the DeSantis super PAC released a poll that had DeSantis basically tied in the head-to-head uh, in Iowa. But, you know, you, you want to see a, a public poll from some reputable outlet. But DeSantis, you know, you look at it nationally, and it just seems insurmountable. But he doesn't need to. There's not a national primary. He needs to go and win in Iowa, and that that would change everything. And that's that's plausible. Now, obviously, he's not a backslapper. He doesn't light up the stage, but he's a competent performer. And the message, I think, is exactly right. You know, he's thought about how how he needs to be aggressive against Trump. He can't. Was. He has to, to fight back, but he needs to do it in an intelligent, well-thought-out way that doesn't ape kind of never-Trump arguments against Trump or you know go, go too far for a lot of people on you know, 2020 and things like that. So it's, it's, it's careful yet aggressive. So if he wins, it's going to be because of the message. It's, it's not going to be because you know he's a, a lights-out personality. Uh, let's talk about what's happening on the left, and that is RFK Jr. goes down to the border at 2 in the morning, said how what a disaster it is. He sounded like Ted Cruz. Uh, with, you know, Ted Cruz speaks a lot better. Sadly, uh, RFK Jr. has got huge vocal issues, which is a main problem. I, even though you might feel bad for him, it's a huge problem. Yeah, but he goes down there at 2 in the morning and says, to. this can't be sustained. These people are just pouring in. You have to be see to be believed. Joe Biden waltzes in there, gives two-week notice to El Paso to clean up the roads. I might be coming by. So he's seeing the real unvarnished thing. And now here's Don Peebles, who was uh, running for mayor. He's a big uh, Democratic donor and supporter. He says that he, he says that Biden's vulnerable from the left. Cut 14. Well, I think it's indicative that about a third or more of the Democratic Party members want to vote for someone other than this president. So the danger for President Biden is if someone else who would be a much more credible candidate got into the race, a Cory Booker, for example, or Gavin Newsom, who has flirted with the idea of running previously, um, those types of candidates would get that 30 percent plus more, and I think it would put the president in a difficult position. And uh, and that is what they're hoping doesn't happen by not having him engage with anyone. He named two very flawed candidates, but wouldn't they be more formidable? No one would question their age and competence. Just, they would just say how bad a governor he is and yeah. how Cory Booker cannot get traction since he was mayor. 
Yeah, I think if I think he's right. You know, if, if one of, if someone like that got in, they, they'd so if RFK is soaking up about twenty percent, largely on his name ID, and Marianne Williamson soaking up another eight you know, or ten, uh, Cory Booker would be instantly at forty probably because there there's a, a real appetite among even Democrats for someone else just because they don't think Biden is up for the the job now. And certainly, you know, the idea that he'd pre- be president of the United States till January 2029, it's otherworldly. But no one else is going to get in unless something terrible happens to Biden, and unfortunately, that can't be discounted. I mean, the the uh, the fall at the Air Force Academy. All right, it's a sandbag; we can all trip. But th- there, there's obviously something different going on with him that we've all seen. If we've had an elderly parent in, de- in decline, when they start walking that way, you're holding your breath every single moment. You get a walker. That's what you do, and yeah. that's what people do that care about you because a fall could kill you. Yeah, uh, not yeah, that you know, it's you know, not an insult. Yeah, he can't do it as as president, obviously. And this this gets to a key thing, and um, no one will talk about this. And it seems so harsh and personal. I don't wish it on him, but it could be he may already be at the spot, but he could be there sometime soon. Where it's dangerous to him to just be out there without any support, going up and down the Air Force One steps, what I don't know, thirty feet high or something. It's crazy, and it's going to get worse. Uh, lastly, Ukraine war, this is going to be a consequential time for this conflict. We know about the blowing up of the dam stories now about Nord Stream 1. The Ukrainians might have been behind it. I have no problem if Ukraine was behind it. Nord Stream 1 was a detriment to to Western democracies. It was a crack pipe from Russia, cheap gas that would affect Russian policy that America never should have supported if and all they did. But Merkel uh put it down and it jammed at everyone's throat. Nord Stream 2 is what Trump said was a problem. Do you have a problem if Ukraine blew it up? Uh, no, I, I don't, for the reasons you stayed. And you know, we'll see what comes of this this offensive. I mean, the key thing politically in the United States is is to show uh, progress. And you know, support is eroding among Republicans, but it hasn't collapsed. And you have a number of the presidential candidates very strongly in favor of uh, backing Ukraine and, and still strong congressional majorities um, uh, of, of that point of view. But uh, but Ukraine needs to show success. And the problem is, like we see the dam explosion, Russia doesn't really need to, you know, go sweep in and take Kiev to wreck the place, you know. <laughs> so that that's kind of plan B. They'd love to take it over, but if they, if not, they just want to destroy it. Right. But with the Patriot missiles doing a great job, they found a way to knock out hypersonic, which is unbelievable. They got a better army. They're finally equipped. If you start seeing the Russians being pushed back to their border, that is going to be a major win for the West. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been um, a catastrophic um, adventure, misadventure for Russia. Vladimir Putin so far. Yeah, I mean, it's it's galvanized NATO. You know, you have Nordic countries going into to NATO, um, and he, he it, you know, the initial plan failed, and and Plan B so far has has failed, and it's been it's been very costly, but. You know, he's the problem is Ukraine's not going to sweep to Moscow and depose Vladimir Putin, so he's not going away, and has has a lot of resources and, and manpower to keep throwing at it. Yeah, so uh, that's going to be key to see what happens there, and we like to have a president that looked a little bit more powerful and clued in rather than one that stopped working at four. Today he's got one event. He opened up at two at ten, and the, he has no reason to open up. The Kansas City Chiefs left. They don't have to get a jersey from him. So I have no idea who's running this country. It's just uh, it's just insane. Uh, Rich, thanks so much. 
Hey, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm going to come back and take your calls, and we'll also want to touch on the Live PGA Tour merger. I got some thoughts on it. Also, this stunning news: even if you're not a soccer fan, the best player in the world could be coming to Miami to David Beckham's team. It's done. Oh, it's done. It's a done deal. Uh, Lionel, Lionel Messi, the best player in the world who just brought Argentina a World Cup, is now coming to the MLS. He'll be playing here, I imagine, in a week. Unbelievable. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fact of the matter is, as far as I'm concerned, they came to their senses. And even though uh, Jay Mana and the PGA commissioner said one thing months ago and completely reversed course now, um, I'm certainly going to applaud him for it, as I did this morning on First Take on ESPN. Here's the reality of the situation. The United States government does business with Saudi Arabia for billions of dollars. It was a $9 billion surplus for the government in 2019. They did over $138 billion in sales and goods when, for, uh, with Saudi Arabia in the year 2019. The reality is, is that if the government of the United States can do business with Saudi Arabia, what on earth is wrong with individual golfers doing business with Saudi Arabia? And PGA has some Saudi sponsors from Saudi government sponsors uh, or Saudi Arabian sponsors from businesses within Saudi Arabia. The government control is up for debate uh, already. So the Live Tour tour launches. And what's different about the Live Tour? Well, it's more player friendly. 54 holes instead of 72. Nobody gets cut if you're in the tournament. You can wear shorts. They blast music. They move it around. So it was a brand new tour. They got some of the biggest names to come over. Patrick Reed, uh, Cameron Smith. Uh, Brooks Kepka, uh, we have uh, Mickelson, DeChambeau. These are just some of the people off the top of my head that you just picked up and left for an incredible amount, Dustin Johnson, for an incredible amount of money. And a lot of people walked away from it. Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods said, yeah, you're not going to get me my money. I owe it to the PGA. So now it looks as though for the last seven weeks in secret locations in Vienna, in uh, London, and in Las Vegas, excuse me, San Francisco, They've been meeting, and they worked out a deal to have a partnership. So now you have those kind of unorthodox tournaments, player-friendly, more prize money. I don't know how it's going to look, but now all the players are in one pool again. Excuse me? If you were Rory McIlroy and walked away from $500 million, how do you feel today? If you were a Monaghan and you came out and said, for 9-11 families dealing with Saudi Arabia is just an awful thing, Stephen A. Smith is 100% right. I don't love Saudi Arabia's government. I don't love the royal family. But when it comes to 9-11, most of the hijackers were Saudi. But it wasn't a Saudi policy. Were members of the royal family involved? I think so. But it's a sprawling family that goes on with hundreds. Bin Laden was targeting the royal family, kicked out of the country. And then we still went back and do deals with them on a regular basis. We want. We were, had our secretary of state there yesterday trying to get them to lower the prices of oil and using them as a hedge against our real enemy, Iran, in the area. So I feel for the 9-11 families, I get it, but Saudi Arabia 
It wasn't a government that attacked us. The North Korean government would be a huge problem. China is suddenly, oh, great. J.P. Morgan, I invest in, if you have money in J.P. Morgan, if you have money in Nike, if you have money in Apple, how dare you go deal with China? They're an enemy of America. They have millions of Uyghurs, Muslim Uyghurs in concentration camps. I think it's an impossible road to go down. The problem is I want my buddy Greg Norman to make sure he has a job. He took tremendous risk leaving the PGA where he made his name and went to the Hall of Fame and then said, started heading up the Saudi League. They stopped inviting him to tournaments. He couldn't go tee off at the Masters. Couldn't do anything. And now, British Open, now the league's merged. They didn't tell him until the day of. So my hope is that isn't part of the deal to kick him out. The framework is done. We'll see what the details look like. Uh, I, I think it's a big deal uh, for the league. And according to experts who are not involved, you know, who've been watching this, golf is not like football where they can afford to lose some uh, some people. They need everybody. Here's Jim Gray on what the merging means. He's a big-time golfing broadcaster, Cut 30. Greg Dorman has been a lightning rod, and uh, there are just a bunch of players that uh, just don't want him around. And he made an, a number of missteps. Uh, others would call him courageous for taking on the tour. As for Jay Monahan, there's going to be a huge level of trust issue going forward with him. Um, it's going to take a long time for him to repair that. I think it's going to be very difficult long term for either of those guys to have an involvement. You have to have the trust of the players. You have to have the trust of the sponsors. There's just a lot, a lot of anxiety and tumult still and a lot of hurt feelings, and it's going to take a long time. I'll say one thing. A year from now, controversy aside, it's great for the game. Got more tournaments, more money, more high-profile people, real rivalries and hatred. People like that stuff. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are uh, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country. We are heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by the great Pete Hegseth, getting set for his show, uh, coming up on Fox & Friends Weekend. He's going to be joining me on One Nation on Saturday. Uh, Pete also bring us inside this military and this news that we could have blown, uh, excuse me, Ukraine could have blown up the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. I have no problem with that. They didn't own up to it, but they shouldn't, really. It's not good tactics to let everybody know, but... It's pretty much known. We'll talk about that. Also, uh, on a side note, Lionel Messi, the best player in the world, has just signed with the MLS to go to Inter Miami. Immediately, he sells out 70,000-seat stadiums. So big, one of the biggest sports stories around. And the other thing would be the, uh, the other big story is Chris Licht is out at CNN. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am so sick of this PGA commissioner talking about 9-11. And it's like, buddy, it's about the money. It's only about the money. You know it's only about the money. Stop saying all this other stuff. Uh, Then there was one. Two rival golf leagues merge. Saudi Arabia's back live and American-based PGA Tour. The reactions are global, emotional, and stunning. Why I don't believe there's anything immoral about live and the merger. Number two. It took them a long time to admit they had the document. When he finally figured out 
that Senator Grassley and I both knew without a shadow of a doubt hmm. that the document existed. Then they finally admitted to having the document. Yeah, here we go again. James Comer standing up to Ray. Contempt charges are about to be filed against the FBI director. He's continued to protect the Biden mob. It seems to be regathering again on an attempt to make sure we don't know how Joe and his family made their millions. Number one. And that's why I came back to New Hampshire to tell all of you that I intend to seek the Republican nomination for president of the United States in 2024. And I want your support. Spoke for two hours, reaching capacity. Pence, Christie and Governor Bergram officially in the GOP race. And the field is thought to be complete. One universal fact, Trump is leading and big. Does one of these people in the field know how to fill that gap? Are you still open to new candidates? Let's bring in Tudor Dixon, former GOP nominee for governor of Michigan. Tudor, great to see you in person. I'm shocked you're not governor. (laughs) I think a lot of people in Michigan are. I keep getting that comment. I voted for you. I don't know what happened. But I think that says a lot about where we are in elections and what we need to do to catch up. A couple of things. I mean, because I watched Governor Whitmer, I watched her lockdown. I watched what she did not listen to the people, the hypocrisy that she's shown, got caught a number of times. I think she was a terrible leader. And yet now not only she keep the job, but people are saying that if Joe Biden wasn't around, she'd probably be running for president. Yeah, well, she's launched a federal PAC that's supposedly to help her sister, but I think that's leading to the next step. Her and sister is? Her sister is, I think, in New York. She's running for Congress. So oh, I didn't know that. Liz Whitmer, uh, then she has a married last name on there, too. Um, so she she is definitely headed that way. A lot of people say 28 is her year. She wants to stay in the public eye. And the question is, is Joe Biden going to step out at some point? And then we have a Whitmer Newsom running as well. Right. Uh, governor Newsom, an epic fail. Uh, terrible mayor. Awful governor. People leaving a state in droves. Uh, country is at a deficit. Homelessness running rampant, crime out of control. This is not the resume to run with. On the left, there's not a lot there. But still coming out, and he is attacking DeSantis today and yesterday, and the news is all over it. Oh, he's saying DeSantis is a bad guy for kidnapping these people, putting them on a plane, sending them to California. This is the guy who's saying, come to California. If you're illegal, we will give you health care. We will give you it's college. A joke. It's crazy. It's it, absolutely crazy. But don't you think the governor, uh, Governor DeSantis, gains by that? Yes. Yes. I think that the majority of the country says this migrant situation is out of control. Having illegal people roaming through the country everywhere is dangerous. And you see it in California. The, The levels of crime in California are outrageous. And I believe that that is not only connected to not prosecuting crime, but also having people who are in here that have committed a crime to get into the country. Yeah, it's uh, and we're seeing it now. And to RFK's credit, he went down at two in the morning to the border, provided video, and was legitimately stunned about what he saw. Why? This is a huge American problem. But yet, when the midterms passed and there wasn't a red wave with these immigration issues, I think the Democrats digested that the American people don't care. Are they right to think that? I think that they've been very good at making this a non-issue. And and the media, how, how many people in the media other than Fox are holding them accountable? Bill Malusian is the only guy down there. You don't see any of the other stations down at the border saying this is a crisis. And I don't think that people who don't have it affecting their everyday lives realize, but it is affecting the everyday lives of the New Yorkers now, and that's changing. And But it did help Michigan flip the state house. Mm-hmm. Why? 
What happened in Michigan that they felt the border? Yeah, this is crazy. So when we look at a couple of our districts, they created an organization called We the People. How ironic is this? We the People was created and and filled with undocumented citizens. So these people created a C4. They then did all the groundwork for the election because they wanted driver's licenses in Michigan. And they said, these two House seats, if we overturn them, we get the driver's licenses. And, and they did. They put about, we, we can see $9 million into this organization, $9 million into an organization that fully, fully employed undocumented citizens to do the groundwork on a campaign. So the state that Donald Trump took in 2016, not only did he not get in 2020, in 2022, it seems even more out of reach. It does. Yes. And so that's the concern in 24 when I mean, we've been talking about how can we impact elections and we are asking Republicans, can you put a couple of million dollars together to help us win some of these seats? And it's like pulling teeth. They had undocumented citizens, illegal people brought in almost $10 million to turn two House seats. This is really hard when you have Republicans that say, you know, this is the off year. We're not putting money in. I don't think people realize the RNC let you down. Do you look at the RNC to help you out that? The RNC, well, the RNC doesn't play in gubernatorial races, but I would say that the RNC probably does not have its finger on the pulse of what the Democrats are doing with technology to win races. And we were just talking about Democrats aren't there out there actively campaigning because they want a very controlled message. And groups like this, we the people, create a very controlled message. They send out mailings, text messages. They're on college campuses. They are going to the people. They are reaching the people where they are. We are hoping the people come to us. We're having rallies. We're asking people to come to conventions. That's not the future. That's not how Republicans win. Yeah. It was social media, I think they are getting better at it, but we'll see. Uh, so now we have Chris Christie getting into the race. We have Governor Bergram getting into the race. We have Mike Pence getting in the race. So we're about, about at 12. What does this race look like to you? A lot of talent. Do you, do you see anyone giving a serious challenge to President Trump at this point? I think the more people that get in, the more that gives Trump the upper hand, because the more votes that you take away from the other people, then obviously he has this strong base. I I think that there are some people that think they'll jump in and they'll kind of throw themselves at Trump and stop him. I think there are others who think they'll throw themselves at Trump and he'll have them join him in some way. I don't think anybody really – I guess I I would say, well, obviously, there are some people who think that they really will become president. But, man, it's such an interesting year when you have Trump on the ticket. Let's listen to Chris Christie yesterday. There is no such thing as Trump voters. Hmm. He doesn't own them. He didn't take title to them. They're not one of his buildings. They're not one of his failed casinos in New Jersey. Okay? I voted for him twice. Okay? Am I a Trump voter then? Hell no, man. In America, we don't get to vote for who we want to vote for. We get to vote for who's left. We get to vote for who's left. Okay? So Trump voters are Trump voters in 2016 when their choice was among 17 of us. And then when it was Trump or Hillary Clinton, a Trump voter in 2020 in the Republican Party, he had no competition. So do you like the way he breaks it down and talks about how things have changed? 
I just think you can't be so naive and say these things. There's no such thing as a Trump voter. Let me tell you, in our race, we ended up with 73 percent of the people that voted for Trump. There are people that come out and only vote for Trump. I, I, I know that sounds crazy, but he brings a group that no one else brings. And that's why beating him in a primary is so tough, because there are people that just love him. It's not a cult thing. It's not a God thing. It is about the fact that he is willing to fight for them, and they never had anybody do that. And these are people that are not Republicans or Democrats. That's the unusual part about them. They voted for Obama, and they voted for Trump. This is a unique group. Yeah, I guess so. And one thing about it is they still seem to be there. The other thing is the issues, I think, are 85 percent of Republican issues when it comes to their view on trade. It's very different from the Bush years when it comes to their – their sense on uh, a war, overseas war. It's a hard, uh, it's a hard thing to sell Republicans when we usually, uh, we were usually a country that would go with the right would be first and the left would be second. Now it seems to be just the opposite. You have a, a lot of Republicans who want no part of supplying arms to Ukraine and even the support there and don't, you know, unless they see more from Europe. So even if they don't vote for Trump, they want the agenda I think Mike Pence, if he's smart, will sell that. You have me. I know how to do it. You're not going to get the crazy. But evidently, he wants to show people he's the establishment. That's going to be a mistake. That's going to be a mistake because that's what people are trying to get get away from. Even as we watch what's happening with these questions over the FBI, everyone is very concerned about who to trust. That When it comes down to America right now, who do we trust? So that's what they're looking for in a candidate, someone they can trust. And I honestly, I think that Trump has been that person for them. But I think there are some standouts. I think Tim Scott did something really interesting on The View because he came out as this really calm very intelligent, presidential-like person who sat there and didn't yell. He didn't have that anger. He didn't have the strife and the conflict. He looked at them and he said, these are the facts. And you felt like you could trust him. And I think that is what the American people are. That's the where they are right now. Who can I trust? Right. And very interesting. I think the best thing that Senator Scott did was go on The View. Mm-hmm. And because he created publicity and news around him, legitimate, not a great ad, but he says, now I'm going to put uh, money into it. Uh, you're going to watch the marketing push go out. DeSantis is same way over the next two weeks. With uh, We Get Back, what do you think these court cases will do to the Trump team? Because the initial one with Alvin Bragg was jet fuel. But what about the next two, which, if uh, history is any judge, will be will result in indictments? Tudor Dixon's here. We love having her in studio. And I see your calls up there. Bottom of the hour, Pete Hegseth. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Today, the Armed Services Committee has received a briefing. And I can tell you that uh, from the U.S. perspective, I think we're very confident that the Ukrainians are ready, that they have the equipment that they need. Uh, They certainly have the spirit, as President Zelensky has rallied his country and the world on this is the fight for democracy. Uh, I think the Ukrainians are are up for this fight, uh, and the Russians are certainly going to see, I think, uh, their forces being pushed back uh, to the border in Ukraine, retaking their territory. That would be great. That is Mike Turner, and he is uh, the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, just weighing in on what he heard after getting briefed by Zelensky and company. Tudor Dixon in studio. You know the Tudor Dixon podcast. Get it anywhere. So, Tudor, your thought about Mike Turner and Republicans supporting 
the I think the good guys in this conflict. Not everybody agrees with me in saying that. Where do you stand? I think it's a really complicated issue when we look at Ukraine. Remember, just a few years ago, we were talking about Ukraine being one of the most corrupt countries in the world, and there was so much corruption. We had the whole Ukraine call and and the investigations over that. And now we do kind of say, well, we've got to come in and protect Ukraine. If Russia were going after Poland, I think it would be different. Our concern is they'll go through Ukraine, they'll get to allied nations, and then we'll have a problem that we can't stop. So I agree with the idea of slowing this down and trying to support Ukraine to some extent. But I also think we have to be a real, really careful with a country that has such a history of corruption. Right. Uh, I also think that the way they're fighting, and if you have Russia as one of America's chief enemies, number two probably, they're being totally unmasked as a third-rate military power And then guess who's been training the Ukrainians? Donald Trump's administration gave them what Obama wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Gave them blankets and MREs. He gave them weapons and training. Right. But then as you as you expose Russia as you know, Russia is getting their butt kicked. And that's kind of shocking when you think about how can Russia not be able to go up against Ukraine? But how much does this empower China? And I think that's a concern that we have to think about. We have to go. And I think that's why a lot of people are saying support Ukraine because we got to stop Russia. Yeah, you stop Russia, it's a loss for China. Right. But then you, I mean, there's a lot to factor in. Does China at some point come in and just wipe out Ukraine? And we've put all of our forces in there and not been prepared for China to align. And I don't think that Joe Biden is watching that. I don't, do not trust the Biden administration to be carefully watching the relationship between Putin and Xi. And that scares me. Right. I, there's no way China would ever do what they did in Korea in the 50s, because if they put their people on the ground, that would that would actually mobilize all of NATO. They don't they have so much power, though. They have the the largest navy in the world and people don't like to admit that, but they have a larger navy than the United States. They've been moving their naval um headquarters closer and closer to the United States. So I do think that they are preparing for that. They don't want to they don't want to have another embarrassment, but they have prepared with weapons like we have not. And that scares me. So you as a um, you a gubernatorial candidate uh, in uh, Michigan, a lot of people thought you were going to win this one, but you did extremely well. But when you look at what the American people care about in 2024, we're talking foreign policy. We're interested. What do you think the American people care about? Do you think that they understand the China threat? Do you think they understand the out- why the, the outcome of Ukraine matters? I think there are uh, – I don't think they understand Ukraine very well because I don't they think – They never explain it. No. This administration doesn't communicate anything. No. Everything has got to be very hidden. And, and so that has been a big confusion for people. I think they do understand that there is a Chinese threat out there. I don't think that we've really studied history well enough to understand that, you know, the United States, we have an eight-year plan. China has a hundred year plan. We're on like year 85. You know, this is kind of scary. Right. Uh, Their plan got tripped up because they decided to poison the world and not tell anyone about it with the pandemic and where we go from here. Um, Do you think that uh, the court, the role of the court cases in the Trump situation, he could be looking at indictment. Word comes out that Mark Meadows could be a flip turned with state's witness. He's the chief of staff. You have the January 6th investigation. You have the investigation of Mar-a-Lago papers. And you got uh, Georgia. Did he try to manipulate Georgia delegates? If those result in indictments, what does that do for Trump's uh, candidacy? I think there will be people who will say, oh, that will get him a lot more support. I think it gains him some. I think it loses him more, actually, because I think people really are looking for safety and security in this nation. Like I said earlier, trust. And 
there's going to be a point where people say, okay, we can't take it anymore. They're going to believe that the next Republican won't have this. I believe that they'll always go after the Republican no matter what. But I think that it, if he is indicted, then people will start to say, where do we put our support? And honestly, I think with a field of 12 or whatever we're at now, there could be a standout. It's We're waiting to see who that's going to be. Right. I tend to agree with you, but the counter narrative would be the unfairness. And if you look at the investigations of Joe Biden, where's that special prosecutor? Where are those leaks? Where is that grand jury? This is over 30, 40 years, thousands of documents, not a word. People see that and say, I'm sticking with my guy. Yeah, I agree. Although I think that they also look at what the future is for their kids. And that's different. That's true. Tudor Dixon, great to see you. Go get her podcast, Tudor Dixon Podcast. Uh, coming up next, your calls and Pete Hegseth. Don't move. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I will not endorse uh, former President Trump during the Republican uh, primary process. Look, that guy is all about litigating yesterday. He's not delivering what it's about tomorrow. And I get it. He's playing this victim card. But you don't elect someone president or to be your nominee to play the victim card. If he could win in November of 24, different different, uh, prospect. But the fact of the matter, Donald Trump wouldn't even win Georgia. And if you're a Republican candidate that can't even win Georgia and would actually cost us other seats, then no, we, we have to take a hard pass at that. And Governor Christie Nunez, who will not get in the race, uh, Mike Pence will today, Governor Christie yesterday, the governor of North Dakota today, rounding out the field. He says he'll not be involved. Youngkin said pretty much I'm not going to be involved. What are the thoughts of Pete Hegseth when it comes to Governor Nunez saying President Trump's all about litigating yesterday? He's the same Pete Hegseth who's co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend, the same Pete Hegseth who wrote Battle for the American Mind. Uh, he joins us now. Pete, I don't have to theorize what you think. I could actually ask you. <laughs> What's up, Brian? It's great to be uh, with you. Yeah, I mean, he did. He made the right move not getting in the race. Governor Sununu would have only gone in the race to try to be a uh, junior varsity version of Chris Christie, which is destroy Trump. So there's already that lane in the race, uh, as we saw from Chris Christie's announcement. I just think his analysis is wrong, but it's wrong because only if the Republican Party and and a Trump campaign can build a machine in early states like Georgia and Wisconsin and Arizona and Pennsylvania that legally harvests ballots and uses all legal methods that were blown open during COVID to get low propensity voters uh, and outdo the the Democrats who will have low enthusiasm. It's Joe Biden. It's going to be low enthusiasm. We know it. And low enthusiasm means lower turnout for whoever they're not enthusiastic for. But if they're chasing ballots from voters for weeks and months to get those low propensity votes, you can't win ballots versus voters. So it's possible. And I actually think Donald Trump's done a nice job talking about moving forward. Sure, he's taking the shots you hear all the time at other candidates, at DeSantis and all that. That's 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 par for the course. But he hasn't been talking about 2020 election fraud. You know, He has been talking about what he would do for the country. And the contrast with Biden will be stark. So that's an a data point of analysis from a anti-Trump governor of New Hampshire who's going to put his finger on the scales of that early state, uh, but it doesn't make it so. So right now, uh, the litigation pro- gave 
Donald Trump rocket fuel uh, after Alvin Breck. He just went up 10, 15 points. Now that you're looking at two grand juries on the Mar-a-Lago documents and Mark Meadows perhaps flipped to state's witness on January 6th, what do you think that does? This gets a little bit more serious. Uh, I'm sure the Trump stalwarts don't leave him. Is this an opportunity? Is that why the other 11 are in the field? Well, that's why the other 11 are in the field, yes, Uh, to include Ron DeSantis. They're counting on a moment that has yet to occur, Brian, for, I don't know, seven years since he came down the escalator. There have been how many dozens of times his political obituary has been written based on things he's said or done or been accused of. I don't think there'll be rocket fuel like Bragg because Bragg was such a – such a good foil. He was a, a face to the foil, but I think it'll be fuel. I really do. I mean, think about January 6th and the the clip that Trump will play about, you know, protesting peacefully uh, and, and all of that. They'll play that on a loop and say, they're coming after me again. Uh, and then Mar-a-Lago, after, he got another bump after the Mar-a-Lago raid, a rocket fuel bump. So it was, if you're going to say, no, what you did there is illegal and worthy of indictment, I just don't think it it certainly doesn't bring him down. I don't think it brings him down much in the polls, which is a problem for the other candidates. And I actually think amongst Republican voters who feel like they're coming after him specifically, uh, it's going to help him. So the other big story, there's many, uh, the FBI, uh, turns out there's going to be contempt charges filed. If you read the Washington Post, you think this is a total show. If you listen to Jamie Raskin, the ranking member on oversight, you think it's a total show. But if you look at the facts of the case, as William Barr has said to try to straighten everybody out, there's somebody walked in a few years ago, three years ago, and filled out a 1023 with the FBI. And this is a credible source that the FBI has used before and says there's a bribery scheme with Joe Biden directly benefiting when he was vice president. No one's following up on it. So I'm putting it in writing. No one did anything with it. It's like that they didn't 86 it because there was nothing there. They evidently Bill Barr saw it and sent it over to Delaware for the U.S. attorney to investigate. At which time this whistleblower stepped forward to Comer and said, guys, I filled this out three years ago. They are not investigating this. Check it out. They went up to the FBI and said, show me the form. And they go, what form? And then finally he says, we'll show you the form, but come to us. He goes, no, we're not. He goes, we'll bring it to you. He goes, okay. But we'll still leave it here. They said, no. What's going on here, uh, Pete? Uh, it's an attempt to slow walk it, to cover it up, to make it go away. That's, I mean, just like they made something up against Trump uh, using paid-for information that all proved to be false, they're doing the exact opposite, not paid for, likely they would have had an opportunity to verify it or at least look into it by now, from a credible source who's been on the FBI payroll since the Obama administration and other whistleblowers who say the investigation has been slow walked. It's so it, – it's either – Uh, You know, one amongst many of things they're willing to cover up, or it's so explosive that they can't let it see the light of day, which is why Comer is so right to continue going the way that he is. And, you know, you've covered it, how much smoke is around the Biden, uh, you know, business family, business political family, crime family, whatever you want to call them. Uh, There there's it's all there. All they all all you need is a connection because their one big explanation, Brian, has been this is a Hunter Biden scandal or this is a Hunter Biden problem, not a Joe Biden problem. But the minute it becomes a Joe Biden problem, it becomes an impeachable problem. It becomes a existential problem. Uh, and, and, you know, we're looking at 
a different candidate in 2024 if he really did take bribes. So they, the Republicans have to stay on this till this document is is out there and known. And uh, somebody's going to be able to have access to it at some point, and mm-hmm. we deserve to know. And I just want you to hear what Comer said yesterday, and he was talking to uh, Congressman uh, Congressman Mike Johnson. They were actually in the gym this morning, and he's outraged that Jamie Raskin's blatantly doing his – uh, best Adam Schiff impersonation, yes. saying something totally different than the facts of the case, saying this has been open and closed by William Barr. It is not the case. And he said that this morning, but here's what he said last night, Cut 24. He wouldn't even admit he had the document. It took them a long time to admit they had the document when he finally figured out that Senator Grassley and I both knew without a shadow of a doubt hmm. that the document existed. Then they finally admitted to having the document, and they said that uh, they would allow me and Jamie Raskins to go in a classified setting and review a redacted copy of the document. Now, we all know what happened after we came out of there. We were in there for 90 minutes. Not only did we review the doc, the, the, the 1023 form that implicates mm-hmm. Joe Biden in a potential bribery scheme, then they gave us a briefing. They told us things like uh, there was an ongoing investigation and this document uh, had been handed over to the investigator. Uh, and then... We walk right outside, and and Jamie Raskins says things that just aren't true. He says that this was part of Rudy Giuliani, that the document had something to do with Rudy Giuliani. That is a complete and bold-faced lie. He also said he didn't recall the FBI saying that the the document was needed for an ongoing investigation. It's unbelievable, right? And that's why people throw up their hands with frustration. They can't follow it like we follow it, Pete. And then they see a Democrat say that's just this is what happened in private. And then... And they'll go 50-50, uh, I believe Jamie Raskin, or uh, I believe James Comer. I got to get. I got to drop three kids off at soccer practice, totally. and then I got my job at night. That's what they count on. That's right. why they. That's why they wanted to stop at a secret briefing in a skiff where a Republican and Democrat can come out and each go to their respective networks and talk about it the way that they want to. They want the confusion. They want the obfuscation. It worked in their direction under Trump. They never wanted the full picture. It took us took six, five, six years for the truth to come out that it was all made up and all bogus. That was intentional. They want the, the, the fog and the dust and the yeah. cloud and the mystique uh, and the unfollowable. I mean, you remember the books that were written about Trump and the Russia collusion yeah. by Greg Jarrett and others. And it took real work to dig and put the dots together. This one doesn't require dots if you just see the document now that we know and admit that it's there. And redaction is their other key tax. Sure, they'll release it and you'll, it'll, it'll be all black, uh, like, the, like the ACDC back in black album cover. Like right. that's all it's going to look. So I, it, I just – this is one where there's no reason at all to back down to include yeah. uh, holding – Ray in contempt and getting this document out. There's no other choice. So, Pete, I know you got to say, uh, you got eight hours to do over the weekend, but the big story is going to be you and uh, Will on the inaugural debut of How Well Do You Know Your Co-Host on One Nation on Saturday. <laughs> but before I let you go, the other area of your expertise besides knowing Will Canewell is the, your book, The Miseducation of America, uh, which is the special on Fox Nation. If anybody who has kids in school, you want this, uh, i got to ask you, what steps... Uh, can you take to make sure kids, the parents right now, uh, to make sure their kids get the right kind of education and the education thinks America first and focuses on lessons rather than a indoctrination? Well, the first thing is to be honest with yourself. Uh, don't don't say, oh, my kid's just fine. My, my school's fine. I think it's OK. 
do the work. Go in and ask for, uh, in, you know, walk the halls. Just look at look at the information coming back in your kid's backpack. Look for the buzzwords, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, climate, environment. You know, there's a lot of different things you can see that give you a sense of what the school's focused on. It's the summer. Like, look at your options. Find out whether or not there's a classical Christian school near you, classicalchristian.org. There are a few on Long Island. There are a bunch in New Jersey. There are a bunch in almost every state. You'd be surprised how many there are and how affordable they are compared to so-called elite options. So I just think you know, check out the series Miseducation of America, the book Battle for the American Mind. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And the most precious thing we have is our kids and grandkids. And to think that we would allow them to ride off on a yellow school bus hoping they're okay and then counting on deprogramming them, they're too valuable. So I, I find the best option that's truly educating your kids. Right, because part of the part of the left wing playbook is to get kids young, get kids when they're in school, uh, get get kid get these next generation when they're young. And when they come up, they become Democrats and they change the country. That's uh, it. Not if you read Pete's book, uh, Battle for the American Mind. Pete, thanks so much. Looking forward to One Nation. All right. Pete, just got to tell the audience, be honest. Are you wearing gel? <laughs> uh, right now, uh, no, because I'm at home. Yeah, no right. gel. Send us a picture. Because I, <laughs> I can't because it would be embarrassing. Pete Hegseth, always educational. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Brian. One of the big stories is merger between Liv and the PGA. One of the big stories is Lionel Messi joining Inter-Miami. The best player in the world will be joining the MLS. Clay Travis from OutKick next. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And while this does move the game forward... And this now does, to, in an effect, you know, live really goes away. Uh, but, it's, but it's now controlled, or at least a, a major investment is being made by the Saudis. So the PGA Tour is the one that stands. They're the one that lives, uh, and they will control it. So that is Jim Gray with his initial in, in analysis. Uh, and he's a big golf guy, too. He's covered, uh, I, guess, I guess, maybe 30 years of Masters tournaments. Jim Gray weighing in on the merger between live and the PGA Tour, the European Tour, uh, how could two sides who hated each other so much secretly negotiate for seven weeks and come up with this merger and surprise everyone, including the CEO of Live, Greg Norman? Clay Travis is the CEO and founder of Outkick uh, and joins us now. Clay, before uh, before anything, we go any further. Is this going to be good for the game? Golf? Yeah, I think it will um, because, uh, Brian, thanks for having me on. Um, I, I, for the second time today, I was on with you this morning on Fox and Friends. Um, I, look, I think most golf fans, all they really care about is that the best golf players are all at the majors, right? They want to ensure that the U.S. Open, the British Open, uh, PGA Championship, and the Masters all have the best possible roster of talent. Um, and now that we've effectively got a merger, the more – top talent playing in top golf tournaments there is, the better it is for the average golf fan. So, yes, I do think this is beneficial. Uh, in general, regular golf fans are winners here. So they're talking not, this has been a sellout to the 9-11 families that the, you know, we have Monaghan on the record saying, how could you basically do this? How could Bryson De- DeChambeau leave? How could – uh, does uh, uh, Dustin uh, Johnson leave? How could Patrick Reed leave? Nine Eleven family, Saudi cash, Saudi wealth fund, 
Uh, what changed? Is it about the money or the good of the game? Well, I always thought that was a, a ridiculous argument, candidly, um, because, and, and I think Jay Monahan's decision now to merge with Liv proves how much of a talking point that was as opposed to a true uh, belief system on his part. And, look, I, I um, have said this for a long time. It, this came to soccer first, right? A lot of Middle Eastern uh, wealthy individuals and, and countries decided that they wanted to start to invest their money in soccer. And so I, I think if you're looking for purity, um, you're going to be hard-pressed to find purity anywhere in the world of athletics, right? Um, and what I wish, and look, I've argued this for a long time, Brian, uh, in fact, my last book basically focused on this. I have no issues whatsoever with any American company deciding, hey, we're going to comply with all the rules of yeah. all the countries in the world and make as much money uh, for our business as is possible. And the example I've used of this is the WWE, right, the wrestling uh, organization for people who don't know. They do events in Saudi Arabia. But they're not also wagging their finger all over the United States saying, oh, we're not going to go to this state because they passed this bill and we're not going to try to move around. And I think the NBA, uh, honestly, has finally recognized the futility of that because when you're playing games in China or Mexico, for that matter, uh, or the United Arab Emirates where you could be decapitated if they determine that you're gay uh, and then you're trying to simultaneously – Oh, America's the worst place in the world. I it's hear you. Not, and don't watch Manchester City. Don't watch Newcastle because right. they're also right. owned. I got to get you on this other earth-shattering news. Even if you're not a soccer fan, you have to know this. Lionel Messi is signing with Inter-Miami of the MLS. Yeah. The best player in the world at the top of his game signs with this league. This is revolutionary. This is titanic. This will take a 25,000-capacity uh, crowd. You could move them to MetLife instead of Red Bull Arena. Am I overstating it, Clay? No, you're not at all. In fact, uh, I'm in the car right now, Brian, with my wife, and uh, I was just talking about the messy news with her, and I said, you know, we got to take our boys to go see uh, when they come to Nashville to play against the MLS team here. So it's not only what the impact is going to be, in Miami, it's gargantuan for the entirety of, uh, of, of, of all the soccer league of MLS. And I think it also speaks to Brian, you know, we got it pretty good in America. Uh, there are an amazing number of incredibly talented people all over the world who would like to be able to come here and make a living off of their talents. And the fact that Messi wants to potentially finish his career here. Uh, is, I think, a a, a really yeah. strong endorsement of American sports and American soccer. And Beckham loved it. He came here at 32. Yeah, he, he became an owner at the rate in which it went at $25 million at the time. I think an MLS franchise is now worth $300 million. So that's yeah. what Messi evidently got. He got ownership of a future franchise. And that's what they want to do. They want to live here and make Major League Soccer a Major League sport. And I think it has. Clay, always great. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work. You got it. Uh, Clay Travis, Outkick founder. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Rick Scott's going to be here in a matter of moments. Martha McCallum, anchor of special, uh, excuse me, of the story at three, will be here. This is one of her days where 
Uh, you want to be, if you're Martha McCallum, you want to be in here because there's so much breaking news happening. Uh, first, the stuff that maybe is not in the headlines but should be. Lionel Messi, the best player by far uh, in the world today, and the, at the height of his game has done something we haven't seen ever, really since Pele in the 1970s. He has decided to sign with the MLS and Inter Miami, a team in last place but not for long. Everywhere he goes, he will sell out major football stadiums, not 25,000-seat stadiums, which is MLS level, but he could go sell out MetLife if he goes to play the Red Bulls or NYCFC tomorrow. This is huge news. He could have signed for, I think, almost a billion dollars in that Saudi Arabia league. The other big story is the merger between the uh, the uh, the Live Squad, the Live the Live Tour, and the PGA Tour. A lot of people think it's controversial. I'm shocked by it. Seven weeks, secret talks, no players knew about it. Everyone's upset about it to a degree. I think ultimately it's going to help the fans. With me right now is Senator Rick Scott. Senator, good news for Miami and your state. I know. I know. You know, hey, Brian, so I have a nine-year-old grandson that is hell-bent on being a uh, professional soccer player in Europe. Um, <laughs> his grandfather on the other side is uh, lives in Paris, and so he loves, loves uh, you know, French teams. So actually, I called him as soon as I heard this, and he's he's mad at Messi right now because Messi and Argentina beat uh, France in the in the World Cup. So right now, his his favorite is Mbappe. Uh, so he's mad at Messi right now. So I don't know if he's going to go down and see Messi at all down in uh, Miami for the game. But I think it's exciting that Messi's coming to Florida. He's, it's going to be great for Miami. I think it's great for the league too. I mean, Miami for yeah. yeah, for example, Beckham owns it. They finally got a stadium built. It took, it was tough. Describe the 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 leaps and it's hard to build them for the Marlins, and it was it's hard to build for the uh, Inter Miami, right? Oh, yeah, I met with Beckham a bunch of times. What a by the way, David Beckham is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And I didn't know how many women worked in my office until the day David Beckham came in and took pictures with everybody. <laughs> you couldn't have been he couldn't have been nicer. But he worked hard to get it done. He's a quality person, and uh, I'm I'm excited for him. Uh, I'm excited for for uh, the league. I mean, football, uh, you know, soccer is so much fun to watch. And uh, so, but uh, it was fun listening to my grandson say it was wrong. He was so mad. He said when France lost to uh, Argentina, so he's he. It was hilarious. But he's right. gonna be, my grandson, I think, will be a professional European soccer player. He has held bet on it. All right, I'll bet on it, too, if he's got your drive. Uh, Orlando, there's also the great Orlando team, too, that started in the USL yeah. and now is ascended to the MLS. So that's good news. First off, your take on the Saudi Live Tour merging with the PGA Tour. I mean, whether you like it or not, the way I see it, Governor, Governor now Senator Scott, we have relations with Saudi Arabia. We look at them as a wedge against Iran. We just had our Secretary of State there. I know what happened on 9-11. That was not a government-sponsored attack. No. I, so I, I just met with the Saudi ambassador just the other day. Um, the, um, you know, we, what we've got to do as a country is we've got to build relationships where we believe people are trying to do the right thing. And so um, so I don't know the de- details of this. You know, PGA is a, is a Florida company, and I know it's a very well-run Florida company. I hope it's good for everybody involved. Um, it's You know, it, look, people love sports. It's exciting that people want to invest in sports. Um, so I'll get, we'll get more details over time. So I, I hope this is good for the fans. I hope it's good for all the players. I hope it's good for Florida. So right now we have a situation where 
we got about a dozen candidates now running for the GOP nomination. And one thing they have in common, they're all trailing by a lot to Donald Trump. Is, uh, Senator, have you decided to support President Trump? And do you recommend everybody else drop out? Well, I never recommend anybody get into a race or drop out of a race. Um, uh, I think that's a that's a personal decision. Uh, I remember when I started running in 10, I was running against the establishment Republican and everybody told me to drop out. So I didn't appreciate that. Um, the um, and I went, we were able to go on and win. Look, look, here's the deal. You should if you believe you have a story that you can make this a better country, go for it. All right. Um, now, look, you, you, the, the problem, you're gonna, you know, here's the issue that people are going to deal with. When President Trump was president, the border was secure. When President Trump was president, we had a good economy. Uh, was you know we weren't at war with Russia. Um, so you look at this. I mean, there's a the, Trump's got a lot of stuff to run on. And so if you're going to run against him to get the Republican nominee, you're going to have to say, how can I do better than what he did in his four years? I think it's going to be hard. It's not um, impossible. But I've got a lot of you know a lot of people I know really well running. Um, and uh, I know I'm, Mike Pence got in, a good friend. I, know, I don't know if Chris, Christie's in or just getting in. He's in. Uh, but he's a good friend. Um, so, and there's a lot of other people I, I've, I've worked with. So I wish them all the best of luck. I'm focused on my race. I'm, this is my first cycle that uh, my three statewide elections with the presidential cycle. So that'll make it more interesting in my race. But I'm hell-bent on winning my re-election. Do you have an opponent? I mean, is Val Demings going to try to beat you like she tried to beat know. Rubio? Oh, Dwayne, they're trying to get Dwayne, Brian, they're trying to get Dwayne Wade to run against me. They're trying to get a basketball player uh, to run against me. I mean, I wouldn't run against me. I mean, I've, I mean, here, am I, am I now 12 years of doing this? I've tried to make, you know, shake hands with everybody in the state. So I, I've worked the state. I travel the state. I, I, I try to represent the state. My constituent services team won for the best constituent services team in the Senate last year in the country. So I'm, I know this is representative government, and that's my job. So, uh, and I tell people, this is what I believe in, and this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to work hard to win. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I assume there will be an opponent, and I assume the Democrats will throw a lot of money because it's the biggest swing state in the country. Right. Uh, they slowly uh, but surely uh, turned red over the last few years. So you're not, you're not endorsing President Trump. I'm not endorsing. I don't, Brian. I don't, I don't endorse in primaries. I, I just okay. don't think it's the right thing to do. I think we ought to let people, let the voters decide. I don't believe, um, you know, Washington should be trying to decide who should who should be our nominee for all different jobs. I didn't do it when I ran the Senate committee. I didn't endorse then either. I just don't believe in it, so I don't. I'm not doing it. Um, I, I can tell you what. Um, Donald Trump has got a lot of lot of stuff to brag about that he accomplished when he was president. And so if you're going to beat him, you're going to have to go show what you're going to be able to do better than what he did. So right now we understand they impaneled the grand jury in Florida to look at the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Uh, um, your thoughts on that? Number two, I don't How is the Biden investigation going into the classified well, documents here's case? What, here's what I've, I've said to the DOJ and the FBI. You have got to be transparent. We can't have selective enforcement of the law. And what it appears, right, is that, you know, you want to go after Donald Trump and you guys want to go after Republicans, but you don't want to go after Democrats. And you can't do that. I said we have got to have, you know, our national institutions like the FBI and DOJ have got to be respected for being independent. And it sure appears Biden and Obama did the same thing, made them political tools of, of their administrations. You can't do that. And so I, whatever happens, I don't know the facts of what happened, but whatever, whatever happens, t- 
tell people, give, give people good information, like on the Mar-a-Lago raid. I said to the FBI and DOJ, tell people, why did you do it? Why did you raid Mar-a-Lago and you never raided you know, Hillary Clinton and you didn't raid Biden? I mean, just, if, there might be a logical reason. Tell us. This is our government. You guys don't get to just sit here and, and just be a black hole because when you're a black hole, no one has information. They think the worst. That's not good for our country. So in terms of this field, Chris Christie jumped in yesterday and he says they want to he thinks they his lane is about character. Now I want you to hear what Amy Walter said uh, yesterday. Cut 13. He would like to make this race about character and that. Obviously, we know one person he's aiming at, which he, he does in the, his opening moments there, Donald Trump saying he's the one who's divided us, but also saying Biden did as well. Look, the challenge that the former governor has is this. He starts with very high name recognition among Republicans, but he's also the most disliked of all the candidates among Republicans. So he's going to have to find a way as a messenger to deliver this message saying he's the right candidate for the time to... A, a group of people who don't particularly want to hear what he has to say. He was the golden child in 2012. In 2016, he was not successful. Do you think anything changes now? Well, I think I, I would never, any of these individuals, including Chris, I would never say, oh, they don't have a shot. But I would, what I'd say to everybody is character is important. Success is important. What you are going to do is important. Um, your reputation as far as accomplishing things is important. I actually think in the next election, the most important thing is going to be the economy. I think, I think what the Biden administration has done, whether it's, whether it's taxes, fees, regulatory environment, just attitude is really bad for our economy. It's the biggest thing for a family. I, grew, I mean, Brian, you know, I grew up in a poor family. I watched my parents struggle for work. We're, what I'm seeing around the state is people are struggling because of inflation. They're scared to death of their if they're going to have money for retirement. They're scared to death of their ability to pay for medical bills. We've got I think we've got to address the, the financial issues of this country. Like last week, we did this, the debt ceiling increase. All right, we raised it four trillion dollars, and there's no there's nothing to, that's going to reduce inflation. Nothing that's going to re- make people feel more comfortable at retirement. Nothing to make sure we get medical bills down. So we have got to start as a country solving the financial issues of this country, and we'll get more jobs and create more opportunity for people. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, right now, President Biden is running unopposed virtually, but RFK is making uh, some gains. Do you believe uh, that this that that's the nominee of the party? And from your reports, is Joe Biden with it when you get with him in when you've ever spoken to him? Well, I, the last time I saw him was when we had uh, that uh, condo collapse down in uh, uh, North Miami. So, you know, he's he's always been the same Joe Biden. I know, you know, he's not he's he's just a glad hander, just small talk. He just reads everything. So, you know, he's he's just a, he's he's clearly aged and he's always been sort of not with it. I mean, as far as he, he never, never made any sense to me. Uh, so I don't know, but it's hard to beat an incumbent president. For sure, it's hard to beat them in a primary in their own party. Uh, but incumbent presidents generally win. In my lifetime, I think there's, what, three that have lost, um, uh, that, have, that have lost. It's hard for an incumbent president to lose. So Biden will be hard to beat. But if you if you focus on the issues, if you focus on how bad inflation is, you know, if you focus on how, you know, 
you know, we're, we're at war in basically in Europe. Um, in fact, we have no, you know, we're not building relationships. We're not holding China accountable. I mean, the American public is, is American, the American public right now, the way I look at it is they are furious. They, but they just feel like the whole system is rigged against them. And I, what I'll tell you, I think it is. I think what we're doing to poor people in this country is crazy. I think what we're, the inflation we've caused them, and I watched what my mom went through with inflation, is so unfair. And what we've done to retirees uh, that by, when they kept interest rates low, that ruined their retirement benefits. I think it sure appears to a lot of Americans the system is rigged. We have got to fix this. Gotcha. Uh, Senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. All right. Take care. See you, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll take it to some of your phone calls, and then Martha McCallum will be in here. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If someone in here was a Trump voter four years ago, maybe this time they say, ah, you know, let me give this guy a shot. Or let me give one of the other candidates a try. I don't think he owns them. He thinks he owns them. Mm. He thinks he owns them, okay? But let me guarantee you something. He thought he owned the general electorate after 2016. And what did they show him in 2020? Not so fast. Not so fast. So Governor Chris Christie, in a two-hour address in a town hall setting, came out and said why he was running, what he did wrong in the past, how he's going to take down Donald Trump, and even pointed out what he says is the grift in the Trump family, saying that Kushner and Ivanka... Uh, the grift is breathtaking. So here you go. Game on. Now I don't really hear that from the right, so that's new. Martha McCallum knows all about New Jersey. That's all I'll say. Uh, anchor <laughs> of the story at 3 o'clock today. Martha, Chris Christie in familiar style, comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a two-hour town hall. It took him a while to get around to the announcement that he's in again. Um, he certainly has a lot of enthusiasm. He you know, came in sixth last time around in New Hampshire, which he was open about last night when he talked about it. It's a little tricky to figure out what he thinks his lane is exactly. And that's the case for all of these people who are emerging to run against Donald Trump, which is essentially running against, in a lot of people's minds, sort of a once-removed incumbent president. So he, he has a huge advantage because of that. And um, But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting on the debate stage. It's going to be interesting to see what, what kind of ire Chris Christie turns on other people, like DeSantis as well. Right. DeSantis, I think, uh, you know, he, he said, well, why are people saying that if I go after Trump, I'm doing that and not winning? That's what I should be doing, going after the front runner. So for the most part, my sense is that with Mike Pence now in, the governor of North Dakota now in, a lot of people doing it again, like Governor Christie, they're waiting for these court cases to take Trump down. Is there any reason to think so? You know, I, I mean, I, I think that's probably right. I think there's a sense that there could be a catalyst, a shift in the dynamic, and everybody's kind of positioning themselves to be the person who might be able to fill that void if that changes the mind of 50 percent of Republican voters. Now, that's the question, right? Is anything that happens, whether it has to do with the Jack Smith special counsel investigations into January 6th and also the Mar-a-Lago documents or what happens in Georgia, will those things – take a, a big enough bite out of Trump's lead 
to make a difference, to, to, to provoke an opening. It could happen. Look, what we have all learned is that anything can happen in this political environment. I know Vivek Ramaswamy is saying, you know, that people don't want grievance and vengeance. They want to look forward. We'll see. You know, we'll see if that's the case. But right now, I also thought it was interesting that Chris Christie said, you know, that about the Harry Potter syndrome and how nobody wants to mention Voldemort's name. Um, I think that anybody who wants to take down Trump is going to have to go at him directly. We know from experience that he will do that, and he does it very well. He went after Chris Christie, uh, you know, with this posting of the of this buffet. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing he won't say or do. And so, I don't know, is it going to be fire with fire or are gonna, people going to be drawn to a more sort of optimistic, futuristic message? Right. Uh, he, they put a fake buffet in front of Chris Christie at a town hall because uh, I guess it's a, a mark of his weight. I want you to hear, uh, bringing up what you said, this is what Chris Christie said he did wrong last time, cut four. I think I'm much more experienced about how to do this now. And what really matters in being able to get the job done Every endorsement doesn't matter, okay? Last time, I was obsessed with all the endorsements, and I got more local endorsements than any candidate in the race. Second thing I learned is that even though I did 100 town halls up here and I did a lot of listening, you have to do even more. You have to do even more. And that's why I didn't do some big podium speech tonight to announce. To me, if I want to win, this is the best way to do it. Kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm a big believer that people have a moment in politics and if they miss it, they don't get it back. I, I think that the year that Mitt Romney was the nominee for the Republican Party against Barack Obama was probably the best opening for Christie. He was a rising star at the time. He said he wanted to spend a few more years as governor. He didn't feel ready. I think that often is something that politicians go on to regret. And maybe that's the case with him. Um, but, you know, he has a genuineness and an authenticity that I do think resonates with people where he'll go remains to be seen. Right. He wanted to be the number two. He said, I'll be the number two. And they said, no, I'm going to go with Paul Ryan. Yeah. That was kind of a shock to him. Martha McCallum's here. That shouldn't surprise you. It is Wednesday. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, uh, we're back. Martha McCallum here, and we're talking a little about uh, 2024. And I'll get back to it. But, Martha, the, I, I bring this up not because I know you love golf, but I bring this up because I think it's a fascinating issue. And the Live Golf Tour, Saudi Arabia says, hey, we want to be a factor in sports. So they bought the WWE. They bring right. major events there. They bring major tennis tournaments there. Uh, they bought uh, Newcastle FC. Uh, in the United Arab Emirates, they bought Manchester United, which is the number one team, most val- Manchester City, which is the most valuable t- value team, I think, in the world right now. It's certainly the best. And what they wanted is an inroad in golf. So the Saudi Wealth Fund came and formed the Live Golf. And they asked the players, what do you want? They go, well, we'd like to, if we start a tournament, we don't like the cuts. Okay? No cuts. They said, well, you know, 72 holes at this much money, 54. Okay, uh, shorts and music. Yeah, shorts and music. You got it. <laughs> so next thing you know, uh, we got a lot of money. So they get Patrick Reed, they get Dustin Johnson, they get uh, Phil Mickelson, and so many more. And they give them money, and they split the league. So the PGA says, "How dare you? We're a nonprofit. That's not what we're about." Rory McIlroy turns down five hundred million dollars. Tiger seven hundred fifty million dollars, yep. and they go to war for a year. But for the last seven weeks, in meetings in San Francisco, uh, in New York. I think in Vienna and London, they have a series of meetings where they decide on a merger. 
And once again, people are panicking, saying Saudi Arabia is getting an inroads in sports and having laid out from what we know right now and how hip, how uh, Mr. Mo- uh, Monaghan looked so hypocritical because he was so day he was so critical of Saudi Arabia. Now that they've merged, is this bigger than golf? I think it's bigger than golf because I think it interests people who are not interested in golf. And it raises a lot of questions about morality and sports and human rights and sports. You know, I mean, would we do this kind of deal with Iran? No. Um, there's a lot of basketball deals with China. Ton. Um, we have to think about where we stand on this. You know, I, I it would be great if we could go back to the sort of old world Olympics model where in, in sports we put everything aside and we compete against each other. But now money has flooded into all of these venues and it has changed the dynamic in such a powerful way that I don't know that we ever get back there again. Here's Christine Brennan on uh, from USA Today. Basically, the headline is, never mind. Everything we talked about, the outrage of the PGA Tour, how they spoke about the 9-11 families and their concern about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, that's all out the window. The PGA Tour has wimped out. Let's just say what it is. You know, I think she's right. I think she's right. I mean, I I heard from 9-11 families when this was happening who were very upset. I mean, they're upset about so many different things with regard to Saudi Arabia and our relationship with the country and the things that they never learned and the things that they still want investigated and to have a deeper understanding of. You know, I I mean, it's great when people stand for something. And I think that's what people thought Jay Monaghan was doing. And and I think people had a lot of respect. I know I did for Tiger and Rory and those who, who said, no, you know, I want to play on this in this American organization. And then, you know, you listen to Trump, who says, you know, look, the PGA is not so great. They weren't treating the players that well. And he did call this. He he said they're going to merge. Once again, he's very good at this. He's very good at at sort of, you know, looking into the crystal ball and saying, I know where this is going. And he said, look, they're going to have to merge. And that's a sort of a businessman's perspective of looking at the business of golf. And I think that clearly this is going to be huge for the business of golf and it will globalize it in a way that we probably haven't seen before. But I, I do think it breaks hearts when people see someone make a stand that feels right to them in their gut and then give into it for money. So Rory McIlroy is seething. Yeah. He is the player they that said, I'm sitting with the PGA. a yesterday with Monaghan. Yeah, and here is uh, Jay Monaghan explaining this on CNBC. As it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me. Oh, wait, that wait, lost let's, let's just pause this. This is a flashback side. So yeah. this is him before the merger. As it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? I mean, that was a great moment, right? Yeah. And everyone goes, yeah, that's right. That's what we stand for. That's who we are. And it makes people feel good about the brand and about their support for it. So all that goes Mm -hmm. away. So the other thing is there are Saudi products advertising on the PGA. Number one, we were using Saudi Arabia as a leverage against Iran. Clearly in a very tough neighborhood, we looked at Saudi well, Arabia as true. a positive. And our that's secretary true. of state is there right now. I know. Asking them to cut produ- – to increase I know. production. I know. I mean they, you know, this is the, the classic story of global politics, right? Because we you, – you pick the best 
the best allies that you can yeah. in an incredibly complicated region. And for a number of reasons, over many decades, Saudi Arabia has fallen into that category where they're better on our side than not on our side in many ways. And I think that people feel very unsettled by the fact that you have China creating some diplomatic ties between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And people start looking around. If and you're, why did if that you're happen, not, Martha? Because, because this, we were not this, in Because we this administration present. called them a pariah we went from We went from almost having Saudi Arabia into the Abraham Accords to completely blowing up that whole environment that was so positive for American leadership in the region and so positive for isolating Iran to to where we are now, which is which is a mess, which is where China sees the vacuum and they say, I'm going to step into it. And they're doing it in Africa. They're doing it in the Middle East. They're doing it everywhere, stepping into the leadership role that the United States used to have. But one thing I thought Chris Christie talked about how he feels that over the last decade, America has become smaller. Yeah. And I thought he really put his finger on an important point there. It's true. We used to feel big and strong for all the right reasons. And in that kind of environment, we could take the stand with against Live Golf that would resonate maybe in a way that would have put pressure on Saudi Arabia on human rights. But that that leverage feels gone right now. It does. And the thing is, a lot of people in the Trump world, and I respect a lot of them and those candidates, they don't want to be everywhere. They don't want to be in the Middle East. They don't want to be in Africa. Why we bought? Why don't we focus here? But they don't understand. Number one, I think we have an obligation as a superpower placed on democracy and freedom to let people know there's a system that works that can give your life some meaning. Number two, when it comes to trade, if we don't go get there, somebody else will. Absolutely. And the reason why we'll always win is because we don't want to abuse another nation. We don't want to go in and give make them build tunnels and roads that they can't afford and then just take them uh, take them to the cleaners when they can't make the payments. That's what China's going to do yeah. with the Belt and Road program. So here's Jay Monahan yesterday. We've recognized that together we can have a far greater impact on this game than we can working apart. So there it goes. That's a tough announcement. I'm sure he's taking some tough calls. I just hope, I think Greg Norman is the only one who was true to his school. I don't like the way the PGA's been running. He tried to start a World Golf League. Didn't work. Then these guys go, hey, Greg, you're the perfect guy. We're going to start this live league. He goes, you got it. So he did what they wanted. He attracted the bigger names. He knew what the players wanted. He knows how to design courses. So he came up with a lot of this stuff. And then for them to deal with it, if they said, yeah, I can do it, but don't put in Greg Norman. I know the business world is ruthless, but in can one moment you do the right thing and just say, this guy's a legend. He's not happy with the PGA. He put a countermeasure in. The whole game could rise, and this could be more of a player's a player's sport. It could. Um, it could. And, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, I mean, you might look at this and say, well, are there opportunities to sort of push for greater human rights in Saudi Arabia? I think that's something that they – I like to see way, they are. That's yeah. what I was just going to say. You know, the sport, I think we're better off globally when we keep sports and politics separate. They've merged, obviously, in this discussion, but Saudi Arabia has has changed very dramatically in many, many ways. Women now do things that they never did in just the last 10 years. They're driving cars. They're going to movies. They can go to stadiums. Um, they can even sell things in stores. These are things that we take for granted obviously, and things that women couldn't do there before. So I think that there is an effort in Saudi Arabia to, you know, to, to open up, at least where women are concerned. And I want to, um, at the risk of of splitting the difference when it comes to the 9-11 families, this, the fact of the matter is the royal family might have been involved somehow in some way. 
it's a sprawling family with so many cousins. And there might be people that bin Laden said I could deal with them. But bin Laden turned his ire on the Saudi royal family. They kicked him out of the country and they were not supporting it. The Wahhabi religion, that sect that they allowed to exist, has now basically been disbanded. It's in enclaves, I'm sure. But for the most part, they're not supporting it. So I would never do anything bin Laden was a part of. But to say bin Laden and Saudi Arabia are one, I think would be to oversimplify the situation. Most of the hijackers were Saudi, but as it doesn't mean they were sponsored by Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do know there are a lot of continuing lawsuits and the families want to see documentation. They want to be have an investigation that's more thorough about what those ties were and who was brought right out of this country and brought back there immediately after 9-11. So they have a lot of very legitimate questions. And I, I, I don't think... Um, you know, we want to diminish their concerns in any way. Yeah, not at all. Um, we'll have to see. But if you're going to complain about the Saudi Live League, you should complain that Anthony Blinken's over there. Uh, I mean, he's over there right now begging for forgiveness. Joe Biden called him a prior nation. And first thing he said is better stop bombing the, the Houthi rebels. Mm-hmm. OK, they're supported by Iran and they were sending rockets into him. Mm-hmm. They oversimplified and and really caused havoc in the Middle East and made things more difficult for uh, Israel and emboldened Iran. Thanks. That's all the years of experience, yeah. former chairman of foreign relations. Martha McCallum, a few more minutes, who will tell us exclusively who's on her show. If there's somebody else who knows they are wrong, they're lying to you, <laughs> only Martha knows and she's here. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There are fires burning all across Canada with over 9.3 million acres charred. Smoke from these fires will continue to cause poor air quality here in the U.S., from the Midwest to the Northeast, and even into the South. There's going to be thick smoke pollution at least through Saturday, especially into the Northeast. We can actually trace where the smoke is originating from. And for New York today, it's coming all the way from Northern Canada. So that is a uh, that was not our news service. That was not on our weather app. Uh, that, but it is it is actually Canada's fault that the Yankees look like they were playing in a thick fog yesterday. Yeah. You noticed it in uh, the state you live in. Yeah, and in I Jersey, should have noticed. I it was there was like an orange haze across our whole town, and the sun looked like it was on fire. It was really intense. A um, couple of things. When does it end? And number two is we're seeing people wearing masks again. And I, I saw that statement. I thought I was drunk. I know. Uh, I hear Mayor Adams said, please stay indoors. I'm thinking oh to myself, my is gosh. this a back to Here the future statement? No, I know. It's like a terrible PTSD of COVID. Um, I know. I saw people walking in with, with masks on earlier, too. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say anything to people because some. I think our policy is here. If you're coming off a positive test, well, anybody wear, who wants to wear one can wear one. It's you know obviously, but um, yeah, it's just not what we want to go back to. But but it's serious. I mean, it's all over the place. And I did wonder this morning, like, should I run outside today because it just didn't feel right. <laughs> so do you run every day? I run about four or five days a week. You, you don't run the city, do you? I do. I I I used to. Run depending on my schedule. Yeah, there was a time when I ran a lot in the city in Central Park, but now I usually run out at home after work. 
Well, that's good to know. Thank I, you. Do you walk around in workout outfits here? Uh, no, not really, just because I'm not heading to work out. In right, that, but you yeah, would. In the order. Um, no, I usually, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't. Because I find that, like, when but I walk in. people who are going to run in the park, yes, I understand why they're right. doing that. But I could never run in the city because there's too many lights. I mean, you can't walk two blocks. I know. Well, if you, it's like a half a mile from our door to Central Park. So you just have to do the bob and weave around everybody up right. the sidewalk to Central Park. But once you get up there, it's amazing. All right. Uh, well, that's something to keep in mind, too, where you could play pickleball. You don't play that, do you? No, I play tennis and paddle. Right. Do you feel like pickleball is too easy? I feel like it's a, it's a fad. Right. And you don't want to be caught up in it. Like I like, the hustle I like bell classic bottoms. sports like skiing, not snowboarding, tennis, not pickle. Boxing? I understand why people love it, and people are. All, I have many friends who enjoy pickle a lot. And they shouldn't feel But I don't have time to devote to many different sports, so it's like if I have time, I'm going to play tennis. Yeah, here's a hypothetical. Hey, Martha, we're all going out to play pickleball today. <laughs> are there drinks involved? Yes. Okay, I'll come. Because you, <laughs> you actually think you could excel at pickleball. It's that easy. You can drink. Well, it's very short. Like you're, you know, I, I have played it. The scoring like is pong. the scoring is quite confusing. Um, but yeah, it's like it's kind of like big ping pong. Yeah, and like paddle, it tends to involve a lot of socializing. Right, which is yeah. good. I like a singles tennis, an hour. You know, get really sweaty and run around a ton, and then go out. Understood. Uh, I will tell you, I play pickleball a couple of times. It makes me want to play tennis. I like pickleball, yeah. but it makes me say to myself, I could probably go to the end line and play again. But <laughs> yeah. I never had much of a serve. But what I like about tennis so is you can hustle. Yeah. I, I, the thing about golf is I know. you hit the shot and you're like, I know. what was I thinking? What, where was my elbow? I where know. was my head? I you agree. Know, and can't. it takes forever. I go out to play golf and I'm thinking, I, I, I turned to everyone, what hole are we on? They're like, <laughs> they're like three. Like, three? Really? We're only on the third hole? Mm. It takes so long. I like a quick sport. I've always liked a fast sport. I like to watch lacrosse. I like to play tennis. You know, and, and you're right. Like, if you miss the ball, you've got another one coming at you in two seconds, and you right. can fix it. You can shake it off. Yeah. Right. Um, when we talk about this FBI, excuse me, what's happening, yeah, what happened yesterday and today, mm. there's some bitterness on the right about how the debt ceiling negotiations went down to the point where they did not vote for something that every Republican wants, and that is a protection of gas ovens yesterday. Yeah. There, but there, it's a protest vote. I'm not sure where it's going to go. But among the people that are happy with Kevin McCarthy is the founding member of the Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan. Cut 10. No, I'm well, sorry, 19, 19. Took charge. We got record spending, record inflation, record debt, and an economy where um, everyone's paying more for everything. Well, I said this a, a while back, but it still applies today. I don't know that they've done one thing that makes sense, one thing that's been good. We went from a secure border to no border. We went from safe streets to record crime. We went from $2 gas to 4 and $5 gas, and we went from stable prices to record inflation. And that doesn't even get into foreign policy. We know how weak the, 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 the projection is now from the, uh, from the Oval Office with this guy. So you can just go on and on. Uh, there's a reason why only 36% of the country think we're on the right track. In fact, the real question is, who are these 36% who think we're on the right track? Because nothing has went well in this administration. So they can say all they want, but the American people have common sense. So people like Newt Gingrich and Jim Jordan say that this is the beginning of a turnaround in a limit on the spending, a workfare and welfare. We don't want to go over the debt ceiling details again, but how long does the bitterness last on the right? And why doesn't Freedom Caucus go and negotiate? 
If you're that upset, why don't you get in the room? Yeah, I, I mean, at least Kevin McCarthy was able to get something. And the point that he makes, which occurred to me a lot during all of this, is that Joe Biden kept saying he would never negotiate over the death ceiling. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And he did. He's running and, and commercials it was, it was saying he took weird. charge. It was like all of a sudden he came out and said, well, you know, we're talking and we're going to figure something out. So it, it that's what it takes. You have to start somewhere. And I think McCarthy felt from the beginning that, you know, he had to look at places where they could start to make some cuts that were not going to that were going to be non-discretionary spending, that weren't going to be military spending, obviously, and not going to be Social Security, not going to be Medicare. And that's a very small piece of the pie, but it's someplace to start. I do think there's a hunger in this country for fiscal responsibility. I think there's so disgusted with mm-hmm. $31 trillion in debt and no responsibility. I think that, you know, at least they moved the needle a little bit. Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.